You're listening to The Main Course, where food is serious business. Listen along for insights, strategies, forecasts, and thought leadership from the front lines of food with your host, Barbara Castiglia. Welcome to The Main Course. I'm Barbara Castiglia of Modern Restaurant Management. And today we're going to be talking about a lot of different things. Uh, Ghost kitchens, curbside pickup, uh, all kinds of things. Um, So our our guest today is Buck Sleeper, who's from EPAM Continuum. So Buck, fill us in a little bit on your background and what EPAM does. Sure. Um, Well, thanks, Barbara, for having me on the the podcast. Uh, So I'm Buck. Um, I'm an architect by training, and I'm the lead of the uh, uh, retail and restaurants um, innovation vertical at EPAM Continuum. Um, so my background is in in space design, um, and I now work uh, broadly with our group to create experiences, um, not just for, for restaurants, but uh, really across uh, multiple industries. So um, a little bit about uh, EPAM Continuum. Um, we are part of a broader uh, group called EPAM Systems, and we are consultants that bring new experiences and offerings to the world uh, based on the needs of businesses, um, institutions, and the people they impact. Um, so we tackle multidisciplinary problems in healthcare, such as uh, we're known for a, a wearable insulin pump called the um, Insulin Omnipod, um, to white space innovation, such as opportunity identification, um, like in our work uh, called the Future of Parenting for Fisher Price, and how did that experience relate to restaurants? Yeah, so in the food space, uh, we've done everything from packaging, um, such as if you've experienced the squeezable uh, Daisy sour cream. Um, uh, if you haven't, you should check it out in your grocery store. Uh, to the mobile ordering experiences for Jamba um, and Focus brands, um, even menu innovation for uh, for groups like Chili's. Uh, we also uh, we really love doing kind of future of X, so the future of your um, of your cafe, of your restaurant, of your offering um, uh, for many different uh, companies, and and oftentimes these uh, end with large one to one prototypes where we can actually test the spatial and digital interactions and see how they come together as a service. So in late March, at the beginning of the pandemic, you wrote an open letter to restaurants in a time of crisis. Um, can you detail what some of that advice was and how has that changed? Yeah, I was just revisiting this piece. Um, so uh, in late March, uh, things were shutting down. Um, I think everyone felt extremely helpless and uh, we tried to do our part by um, scouring what we had seen, um, not only in our local communities, but around the world and how food service was responding um, to the coronavirus in a, in a moment when we really didn't know how prolonged this, uh, this impact would, would be. Um, but we, we kind of detailed three points. So the first is, is lifting up employees. So making sure that um, the people that work for you have the safety, financial support, um, and, and also mental health uh, help um, that they need. Uh, we uh, cataloged um, efforts where other food service were supporting their community um, so giving meals to first-line responders, um, food service employees out of work, um, and really being a, a kind of a, a listening um, arm for, for your main street, um, and then expanding your offering 
Um, so the ways in which uh, companies were pivoting towards curbside, um, towards delivery, towards meal kits. Um, and I think when, you know, when we look back at this now, um, I, I think this winter is going to be uh, in many ways a return to where we were in March. Things seem to come back to normal a little bit as we were able to have outside dining and, and curbside normalized. Um, but I would say that that advice kind of still applies here. Um, and in particular, focusing first on lifting up your people, um, making sure they're they're safe and have everything they need to uh, to get through what's going to be a tough winter. And is there additional advice that you would add? I think the 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 additional advice is to be looking towards um, what comes next. I think that um, understanding that we're all going to be a little bit cooped up um, in the next few months, and as you as you look towards the kind of the pivoting of your offering and and what you can do. Um, uh, to reach out to your to your customers, think about um, the kind of meal that you would want if you were um, uh, on an extended staycation or uh, cooped up inside with cabin fever. Um, so always having that that uh, the customer in mind and, and understanding what they need in this moment. And do you have an idea of what of what that meal would be for you? Oh, that's a great question. Um, what so I hesitate because we've gotten so good at cooking our own our own food. Um, uh, my wife Letizia, um, she bakes bread almost almost every day now. Um, we have multiple sourdough starters uh, going at a at a time, um, and so I think uh, for us, what we need are those those foods that we can't possibly make at home right now. It's um, it's faux uh, ramen broths that are just too complex. Uh, things that we. We don't have the, the the time or the infrastructure to do as we're managing a, a three small kids um, uh, in a, in our house right now. Curbside pickup, it is here to stay. Um, so, what can some what are some ways that restaurants can do to improve it? And you said this really great thing in an article: um, to succeed in curbside, lean into feeling, not just function. So what did you mean by that? And, you know, what can restaurants do uh, moving forward with curbside? Yeah, I think that um, it's it's easy to forget why we go to restaurants in the first place um, as we're kind of uh, just trying to keep the, the lights on. And I think that, um, yes, we go to get a, a meal and, and to, to not have to cook um, that evening. Um, but we also go for connection and we go for escape and we go for exploration. And so all of those kind of non-functional, the more emotional uh, aspects of, of why we dine out um, is, I think, the part that that curbside needs to lean into a, a bit more. It's, it can be pretty tactical. How do we uh, uh, efficiently and safely get um, a bag of food out our, our front door? And that's really important. Um, but I think that there is that more emotional component. And one of the things that we've realized in, in looking at curbside is that um, the handoffs are, are pretty uh, can be pretty sloppy and, and either uh, you're waiting or the food's waiting. And so um, I think in the in the absence of, of getting that timing exactly right, um, you need to be designing the, the waiting experience and not the not the pickup experience. Um, so, so, so that's one of our, our kind of short term solutions for curbside. Um, leaning into the feeling part, finding ways to increase the, the human interaction, whether that's through a, a partition, whether that's through a handwritten note, 
um, maybe even a, a, a video call or, or something for your, um, your, your higher end dining. Um, and then longer term, um, I really do think that curbside is, is here to stay. I think it's an efficient way to, to pick things up. Um, I think that it's, it's met a, a need that a lot of people have, um, on the efficiency side. Um, and also, you know, we've got a long road in, in front of us in terms of people feeling safe, moving, moving indoors. Um, and what that means for, for food service is that, uh, we're going to have to reorganize the kitchen. So right now, um, food, food flows from the, the, the kind of the back of house to the, to the front. Um, and what we've seen at a lot of restaurants in our own, um, uh, communities is that there's a bit of an ad hoc, uh, runner situation going from, uh, the, the expo where food comes out and getting it to the front door. Um, how kitchens uh, re kind of negotiate that exchange to make sure that uh, employees aren't taking the extra steps um, is going to be a, a spatial challenge um, and an operational challenge and, and what's necessary to make this a, a, a viable long term. As you were saying, you know, it's going to be a tough few months. Um, so what are some other things that restaurants could do to both build loyalty and increase revenue? Yeah, so I think that um, I was mentioning the the staycation foods and and holiday meals and and uh, trying to trying to help people uh, recreate some of those experiences that we're we're going to miss this year, um, and so I think that's a big part of it. I think another part of it is is being straight with people about the hardships they're they're facing right now. Um, sales are down, uh, expenses are up. Um, not just because of extra precautions, um, but also because of uh, increased reliance on, on third-party ordering and, and delivery, and, and there's a cost associated with that. Um, but I think real talk with your people and, and telling them what the pressures are on you and how they can help, um, whether that's uh, adding uh, a little bit of extra money to the or extra cost to your menu and, and, and t telling people why. Um, I think that uh, the the customers that have been loyal to you and and will continue to be loyal to you will help you foot that bill. They want they want to see you succeed long term, um, and being transparent about those challenges is going to uh, bring them into the fold and 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 help help you get through the next few months. So is it really all a local play over the next few months? I don't think it's an entirely local play. I think that um, that transparency becomes even more important. Uh, in terms of your your protocols and and how you're doing uh, as you as you get larger, um, thinking of some of the the national chains, um, because you know whether you are uh, you have three thousand locations or you have two, uh, the the people that work um, and and thrive in your locations are our community members. So um, I don't think it really matters where your your headquarters are. Uh, uh, we're all in this together, and um, the that communication is is really important right now. Hand in hand with curbside is delivery. Um, you know, we're seeing a greater emphasis on delivery. Um, DoorDash just had their IPO, um, and there's a lot of legislation in different cities trying to prevent um, escalating fees. So, where do you kind of see this deliberately deliberately uh, dilemma playing out in the next year? Yeah, one of the things that I'm starting to see on restaurant websites is is an ask to say, "Hey, um, you know, you can use our our third our third party apps um, and delivery services, and we appreciate that. Uh, it would save us a little bit money, a little bit of money if you pick up the phone and and come grab it in person. And so I think that that messaging for what 
your business needs is, is going to resonate. Um, I also think that for, uh, for companies like, um, like you mentioned, uh, to, to succeed in the future, they actually need to start receding into the background um, a bit more so that this delivery infrastructure and the ordering infrastructure is, is seen more as a utility um, and, and less as uh, the brand itself. I think people, people want to eat at their favorite restaurants. They don't want to eat at their favorite tech companies. Um, and the other side of that is going to be a reckoning on, on the cost of these things. So uh, there is a, a real operational expense when it comes to moving food um, and packaging food uh, from, from one place to another. And um, ultimately, uh, it's going to have to be the customer that foots that bill. Obviously, we're in the stage of, of getting vaccines to people. Um, but what is it really going to take to get anxious guests to feel comfortable to dining inside restaurants again? And how does maybe personalization kind of play a role in helping them come back? Yeah, it's a, it's a great question. And I'm, I'm an anxious guest. Um, so uh, I'll be answering for, for myself um, uh, as much as anything. But I think one of the things that we're seeing right now is that um, there's a difference between kind of feelings like you're doing something unsafe and feeling that you're doing something right or wrong. Um, and that there are a lot of people out there that, that actually don't feel anxious right now. Um, and they feel totally safe in, in restaurants and that's, and that's fine. Um, I think for a lot of people, myself included, we're, we're not only going to need to see widespread vaccine and, and following falling, um, infection rates, but we're going to need to see a sign off, um, from municipalities that say, you know, you know, we're open for business here and, and, and this is, this is okay. Um, yeah, so I think it's going to have to be a, a major shift in kind of the, the course of things, um, uh, for, for guests to feel less anxious. And when it comes to personalization, um, we're seeing that play out already in the delivery space where you can, you can put in your own preferences about how you would like your food, uh, dropped off or, um, how you'd like to, to pick things up. And, um, I can see that, uh, that playing out in the in the pickup and, and curbside as well. In 2020, we've seen an increasing interest in and investment in ghost slash um, virtual kitchens. Um, beyond the pandemic, what kind of factors are fueling this trend and where do you see it going? And I know you prefer the term living kitchens. So if you could kind of say why you prefer that as well. Yeah. So I think that, um, I mean, there are a lot of, there are a lot of reasons why Food service is, is shifting towards um, a, a remote commissary, um, uh, and not just because uh, Main Street rents are are expensive, but um, those locations also aren't necessarily central to a uh, uh, a customer base that is is finding you through your website as opposed to walking through your front door. Um, I do prefer the the term living kitchens. Um, Ghost kitchens, I mean, to me, it, it, it invalidates uh, uh, food service on a couple of levels. One, that um, a restaurant is so much more than, than just the, the food itself. It's, it's about the environment. It's about the interactions. Um, it's about that, that escape I mentioned. Um, I prefer one of the other terms that's, that's out there right now, virtual restaurants um, or even just restaurants. Um, I think that what we really need to focus on is the, the service and the experience of, of having a meal, um, how, it, how it gets to you uh, uh, maybe is of, of less important, certainly of less important to the, the, customer, um, the customer itself. And then I think as ghost kitchens um, 
proliferate, um, they still are places full of people um, and they exist in a neighborhood. And I think that restaurants have obligations to both. Um, so uh, they're, they're, full, they're full of folks, they're full of life. Um, let's, call, let's call them a living kitchen. But how did they kind of change the nature of experience? Yeah, so um, once you are decoupled from either the cost or the spatial constraints of, of a, a Main Street location, for instance, where you might have an extremely small um, uh, space and, and all the better parts um, with the views and the lights are, are given off to customers, um, you can do a couple of things differently. One, you can create a beautiful, high self-esteem kitchen environment that people will want to, to be in and, and work in. And, and that's going to do wonders for retention and, and recruitment. Um, and you can also have a different, different space, um, just a little bit more space. Imagine those, uh, uh, those kind of elements of your kitchen that are already on wheels. Um, what if you could rearrange them based on day part or rearrange them based on um, the loading of your, of your channel? So as you're switching from uh, catering during the week to delivery uh, on the weekend, um, a larger space uh, in an offsite location could actually uh, be flexible enough um, to, to allow you to, to move between those two, uh, those two paradigms. Another aspect that you didn't mention previously is uh, EPAM does uh, a lot of research. Um, so your research group, NXT, um, recently identified six big global currents of chains, change. Um, can you explain what they are and what restaurant owners can learn from them? Yeah. Um, so, um, so we call it Next, and Next is our uh, our our behavioral and trends group that's looking um, into the future to understand what's what's shifting. So, not only the um, the kind of the smaller uh, ripples um, of you know maybe what what product is hot right now, um, but also the the bigger waves and, and tides. So a shift towards um, personalization, a shift towards uh, digital engagement. Um, I, we probably don't have time to get into all six of the, the themes. Um, it's a really great report that just came out a couple of weeks ago. Um, but uh, what, one of the main reasons that, that we do work like this is, is to contextualize other efforts. So one of the trends that we're looking at this year um, is around loneliness. And while there has been this kind of massive shift towards working from home and remote productivity, um, I think one of the things that gets overlooked is uh, the, the, the kind of the concept of isolation and how that's how that's impacting us. So um, when I think about uh, some of the work we're doing in other parts of our, our business around um, uh, work from anywhere and, and remote work, looking at that within the context of of, uh, of isolation is, is really important to make sure that you're creating a great experience for people. And I think the same is going to be said for, um, for, for restaurants as, as you, as you look at um, more deliveries, kind of understanding the, the context in which uh, people are, are eating, the way in which we can foster reconnection um, and the social exchange that often happens over food is going to um, not only make those experiences uh, better and, and have people um, kind of sign on to them, but, but make them stickier and, and have diners coming back. What other trends do you kind of see for restaurants in 2021? You know, we've seen in 2020, technology really was a savior for many, many restaurants. Do you see that that trend will continue? Are you going to see more automation? I think um, 
so I think we've talked about how, you know, that this virus has kept us apart and technology has, has brought us back together. And that's, and that's true. Um, some of the, the big shifts that I see coming in 2021 are um, uh, perhaps more, more political. Um, so with the shift in, in administration, um, looking, looking at uh, consumer information and privacy um, in a new way, um, uh, understanding what are the impacts of, of monopolies. And, you know, you mentioned uh, tech earlier, kind of understanding what's going to happen in that space. Uh, rejoining the Paris Accords, potential liability based on the way businesses have um, or have not uh, treated employees um, during, the, during the pandemic. These are all big questions that are, that are on the table right now. Um, and there's no, there's kind of no, no answer to, to what is going to happen. But I think our, our advice is, um, is just to, to be radically responsible um, to your people, um, to your, and to your community, and um, lean into uh, the equity discussions that um, every boardroom is happening, um, uh, because it's, it's quite frankly just the right thing to do. So, um, lots of, lots of changes happening uh, with the new administration and. Um, I think we're going to we're going to see that impact uh, very, very early on in 2021. As you mentioned earlier, you're an architect. So using your architect eye, how do you see restaurant design evolving? Yeah, um, we so we talk about how if you want to see where um, the, the design of restaurants is is changing, you just have to look at the, the plates that are coming out of the kitchen. Um, I think. Uh, in the past uh, 10 years, we've seen that the way in which we're, we're eating um, is becoming less formal, um, uh, shared plates, and the, the space has, has responded uh, in kind. Um, over the last nine months, uh, uh, we've taken in informality to the, to the next level, um, to the point of being ad hoc. Uh, so restaurants are as much defined by, by plastic sheets and jersey barriers um, as anything else. And... And I think in many ways, that's a, a reflection of um, the kind of the MacGyvering that that everyone has had to do to uh, to get that food out the door. Um, looking forward, I would expect that if there is a shift towards um, more services such as meal kits or um, or, or kind of uh, pantry items from uh, from restaurants, that you're going to see uh, your pickup location start to look a little bit more like uh, going to grab your your CSA uh, vegetable box, um, and maybe less like a like a French bistro. One of the things you wrote was it's a really great phrase. Um, We're in a moment of extreme experimentation, and every main street is a laboratory for figuring out what comes next. So, what do you think? comes next for the main streets of America and the main streets of the world? So I think that outdoor dining is here to stay. Um, I think it's done done wonders to uh, bring bring vibrancy to uh, a main street that's that's otherwise shut down and um, you know bringing a little bit of, a little bit of Paris to uh, to downtown America is, is not a bad thing. Um, so I think in, on the face of things, we'll see greater visibility on on, on restaurants, um, and and then in terms of like broader broader changes, I I would hope on the 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 other side of um, of this pandemic that there is going to be more interaction. I think we'll see a huge um, uh, kind of influx of of travel and and gatherings. Um, I would hope that every 
every birthday, every anniversary that we we missed this year, we get to celebrate twice next year. Um, and I think there's going to be a, an outpouring of of support for um, our communities and and uh, our desire to reconnect. Um, all of which is best done over a shared meal. That'll never go away. We're very social people who you know just want to celebrate and you know the the act of eating a meal is just so essential that's right it's it's you know not only you know we we need more than the sustenance of the the food ourselves i think this is this has shown us that we we really need the uh the the sustenance of each other's company what does it mean to be a real restaurant and how is that definition changing yeah so one of the um one of the next things that uh, I'm I'm exploring and um, is the is is a deeper dive on virtual restaurants themselves. And I think uh, when it comes to you know this question of what does it mean to be a real restaurant, I think a real restaurant serves its customers. Um, it's it's really that simple. And uh, the the way in which you foster that connection, um, uh, I think that's what's what's changing right now. Um, uh, certainly using more digital tools um uh has been the kind of the theme of 2020 um where it goes next is uh is the the fun part we're all exploring in general what is your outlook for the restaurant industry in 2021 i'm optimistic um i think that we will no matter what happens in the next year we'll um <laughs> we'll all need to eat um, and we'll all still have pressures that keep us from, uh, uh, you know, always, you know, creating our, our own meals at, at home. Um, uh, I do think, uh, that, and in talking with, uh, with, with colleagues, um, from around the food service, as I mentioned, um, winter is going to be really tough. Um, so everyone that can, uh, support their favorite restaurant, um, whether that's, uh, you know, as I mentioned, a uh, a, a big chain or or a, a local joint, um, you should you should do so. But I think that um, there's a lot of concern that um, small restaurants won't be here um, come spring, and uh, that that would be a real shame. So um, it's going to be it's going to be a tough start to the year, um, followed by uh, what I hope is is a lot of growth um, uh, in a in a return to this space. Great, thank you so much. Thanks, Barbara. 